0: I want to give you three tools tonight, three completely different concepts. The first one is how to take a brand new babe and share with him how he can get insights out of the Word of God on his own almost the second and third day as a brand new Christian. And I used to do this just day in and day out on a one-to-one basis for seven years with about 1400 young people a year and did all this on a one-to-one basis and I could take a young person and I would time it, he didn't know I was timing it but it never took more than eight minutes to get that brand new babe taking what I consider to be his first four ounces and getting all excited about it and you get him to take another four ounces and another four ounces And my first Timothy came in after about four weeks, frustrated. And he said, you know, would there be anything wrong with going on and getting two verses? Because it was so exciting, and he was holding himself back on one verse. Well, if we give him that little, you know, daily appetite, and so that, you know, we come to Scripture with questions in our mind. Very seldom... Do I just read Scripture for reading's sake? And uh, because I, if I'm going to do that, I know which books to avoid. <laughs> and I know which chapters to avoid. Now, the truth of the matter is, some of the richest things in Scripture are in those chapters that I just inferred you ought to avoid. They really are. But some of those things takes someone grappling on to the meat of the word. And I'm convinced that the first question on a brand new Christian's mind is not, what do I need to know, but what should I do? And he has a hundred questions going on in his mind, and the first thing we want to do is show him how that Scripture is a resource to teach us how to live and how this can work. So I want to show you that. The second thing is I want to... Get into the next area, which is entitled Developing Insights from Scripture, and taking a subject and showing you how that entire subject is developed so that it can be taught or communicated in a practical way. That's the second level. The third level is what I believe to be the outline of the book of Proverbs. And uh, that's that's a new section of material that just got put in there two weeks or three weeks ago. And for years, I kept saying, if that Solomon was supposed to be the smartest guy in the world, he was the dumbest organizer. Because I kept trying to outline the book of Proverbs based on all of my different approaches to Scripture I'd learned in seminary, in college, and none of them worked. Well, there is a phenomenal outline the book of Proverbs. I just was too far into the trees. Now, Proverbs was written from a father to his children. Most of us, if we were to evaluate the different subjects that Solomon taught his son, would conclude that not very many of our earthly fathers covered all those subjects for us. Now, I just had one further step of rationalization. My father died when I was a kid, so I didn't have a dad to teach me. So there. Don't have to do all those things if you didn't have anybody teach you. Then I start comparing with others who had dads and found out their dads didn't teach them either. And I began to realize that almost every verse or two verses or maybe three or four verses was a concept that would stand independently on its own and that if I would begin to study this book and would begin to identify the subjects over a period of time I'd begin to see all of the subjects that an earthly father should have taught his son but more important what I really am responsible to God to know right now and furthermore what God wants me to instill in my own children. God just kind of took the excuse away from us. But first of all, (laughs) and I'm uh, talking right now about that brand new little Timothy, and I've got to watch myself because you start getting excited about insights you're developing right now, and you can very easily miss the secrets that made it work way back in the beginning and this is what I don't want to overlook and if I get to, to doing anything like that, why well, you just uh, stop me so that we get the handle. Now there's 31 days in a month and there's 31 chapters in Proverbs and I recommend that an individual start reading the chapter corresponding to the calendar date. Now it doesn't take us more than five minutes to read any chapter in Proverbs. And what my goal is, is to get that brand new babe just taking some bites. When we start uh, communicating in terms of, you no, know, now you need to have a Bible study, and you need to study scripture, uh, most of the time we almost scare them or run them off, rather than... Wetting their appetite, getting them into the Word, letting them really enjoy it because you've got all the motivation on your side with a brand new Christian. See, they're excited, they're fired up. And also, if that brand new Christian happens to skip a couple of days, I encourage them to get a diary, just get a little nickel pad get a stenographer's pad, get whatever you want, get a loose-leaf notebook, whatever you want, and to begin to start with the day corresponding to the calendar date. Read the chapter through. As you go through that, mark the significant verses that are drawn to your attention. Now, since your materials illustrate chapter 13, I want us to turn to chapter 13. Now, I'm going to read from the King James. One father. See, a lot of dads feel if they're going to start being the spiritual leader, they should have some kind of training. They start superimposing ideas of responsibility that they don't feel they have the insight or the abilities to do. And so they talk themselves out of it. Well, you can have teenage boys who've never even heard of family devotions or they've heard about it but it's never happened and say, guys, i tell you what, there's a lot of things, and gals too, that, uh, you know, I should have been sharing with you for a long time. And one dad, he had two rebel sons, both teenagers. He said, now, after supper at night, all I'm going to do is, he took the little living proverbs, and I'm just going to read the chapter corresponding to the calendar date and then uh, have a word of prayer and you can all go. So the first night he's reading, and his son is a senior in high school, a real rebel, and he comes to the proverb that says, don't waste your money and pay for the tuition of a rebel. (laughs) And dad just went reading right on. And his son, since dad said he's going to start taking this book seriously, wondered if that verse meant what he thought it could mean. And very first night, son wanted to come back to that one verse to discuss, does that mean you're not going to pay my way through college? Dad said, are you telling me you're a rebel? (laughs) Father and son sat there till 10 o'clock that night, Reading on through the rest of the book and seeing what else it had to say about a rebel. <laughs> this went on for two weeks, and the second son got jealous of all this attention that his older brother was getting from dad. He wanted to join in. And so, as we read this, if you were to get a bunch of gals together, a bunch of guys I love to get a bunch of businessmen together. I have never yet taken the proverb corresponding to the calendar date and gotten together with a bunch of guys, whether it's one or two or five or ten, and ever gotten through the entire chapter in one whole day. Because as you start down through here, you'll think of a situation, boy, that reminds me of such and such. Well, I wonder what else Proverbs has to say on that one subject. And the next thing you know, you're going back and forth. Now, if you got interested in finances, I can tell you ahead of time, there's about 105 verses in finances. That'll take up the better part of your day. Eighteen verses on friendships. And as you go through these different areas, (coughs) chapter 12 is a tremendous one, uh, talking about your mouth and the way we talk, and what we say, and the way we say it. But 13, now here's what I do with them. We just get around a circle. I'll read a verse. The next person reads a verse. The next person reads a verse, and we just keep going around. We read slowly and deliberately. As we read through that chapter, we start marking with our pencils the verses that kind of stood out. Hmm made me think, or it was so obvious what it meant that I could understand it. And then, after we complete the whole chapter, go back and review the verses and select the one that seems to stand out more than all the others. I'm going to read the chapter through slowly. I want you to mark the verse. And many of you don't have your Bibles tonight, so uh, I'll Mention the verse number and you kind of mark it down. Then come back and paraphrase the verse in your own words. Just put it in your own terminology, your own frame of reference, what that means. And include every concept. Now, after we had gone around and had read the chapter and then marked the significant verse, this is what always took less than eight minutes from that point on. then select a one or two phrase word for a handle to remember the verse and write this by the verse in your diary. Now, you have this in your notes. Actually got illustrations of a diary there. And I've given you enough material here to finish out the week. I want to challenge you to just take the five minutes out of your day and find that one significant insight. And then just start logging that. When you come back around on the 6th, today's the 7th, on the 7th, no, it's 6th, isn't it? The 6th of next month, you know what will surprise you? One of you will say, well, I I really think verse 16, that's the one that really stands out. You'll come back around next month on the 6th, and verse 2 will hit you. And you'll honestly wonder, how did I miss that? The last month, since this is just so significant. Well, now, the reason is because our experiences and our circumstances change. I used to read through verse, and there, there are still some verses in Proverbs, that are as dry as last year's bird nest. I mean, there's, it's nothing to me. And I'll turn around, and the next month, for example, I was discussing with someone... Uh, about the credibility of using gimmicks in churches to get people out. And I have some of my own personal opinions as to how far one should go and how far one shouldn't go. And here I'm reading in Proverbs, and it says, Where no oxen are, the crib is bare. That didn't used to mean anything to me. The principle behind that is, if you want a real clean house with no dirt, don't have any oxen. See? Our church is clean. We've got no people, but we're clean. Because we'll start disagreeing. You know what they did? Gave goldfish to the kids. They were going to give goldfish. The guy that brought the goldfish in set the goldfish in the radiator. <laughs> And cooked all the fish. (laughs) But I'm not approving or disapproving of those types of things. What I'm saying is, all of us tend to have a frame of reference, how we think we should function and what ought to be. Uh, It's interesting that when we become absolutists in some area, why God will turn around and bless something that I thought He should have canned. (laughs) Because God happened to be a little broader minded than some of us sometimes. Well, okay. After we select that one or two word phrase, you'll find your verse, put it in your own words, then put a little handle to it. Now, for example, the verse we're illustrating, verse 13, or verse 10, it says, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised there is wisdom. (coughs) Now, the... uh, you just put the chapter and verse down there, and then find a word phrase that will make you remember what all those concepts are. You know, you may use something silly, but how many times have you read something in the Word, and four o'clock in the afternoon, you can't even remember what you learned this morning? You done that? You read it, and it was pretty good, but... you know, you'd kind of like it to go with you, but at four o'clock in the afternoon, I don't even remember what chapter I was in. Well, if you take a little phrase like this, it'll help you remember it. Pride and contention. See? Or booting your buddy. I mean, whatever causes you to remember the concept. All right, well, see, what was it? I. Oh, I remember. Only by pride cometh contention. But with the well-advised, there is wisdom. And if you'll take that... You'll be able to go back and draw on that and put that back into your mind if you, in fact, paraphrase. Now, here's how I paraphrased it. This is verse three, in, or page 3 in your notes. Contention between people starts by pride. See, that's a pretty strong absolute. Only by pride cometh contention. That's a pretty strong verse. I've used that many times. Two verses. When I start to get involved and contentious with somebody, two verses immediately come to my mind. This one, only by pride cometh contention. And the other is, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle toward what? All. Well, I wish that word wasn't there several times. (laughs) All. Only by pride cometh contention. So it gets back to our rights, or I believe that uh, he's wrong. Now, once I can say that, contention between two people starts between people, starts by pride. Be humble, take advice, and become wise. So I just put that into my own words and include all the concepts. Once I've done that, then to take... That and memorize that verse word perfect. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well advised there is wisdom. And then write out those concepts in the first person as a commitment or a petition or as a praise or as a confession or as a goal. And the same verse can be written in all five of those frame of references. Lord, when contention arises between me and someone else, help me to deal with my pride. Help me to be humble and not have an I-know-it-all attitude and demonstrate your wisdom instead. See, now I set that up as a goal, see, or a commitment. Right there I'm asking, it's a petition, I'm asking him for the help and then I'm establishing a goal. You may have just had a fight. And you read that verse, and you you may want to say, Lord, forgive me for my pride. Or you may say, Lord, help me with my pride. Or, Lord, I just praise you for this insight, that now I can get a handle on contention. See, however the Spirit of God impresses on our hearts and minds the application of His Word, just share that out of our hearts with Him. And then I'd have them go down through and do this every day. Well, maybe they'd skip two days, Saturday and Sunday. It'd be bad days. They'd forget it. Well, I told them, don't go back and catch up on those two chapters. Write skip down. And by the end of the month, they skipped 11 times. But you know how many insights that is in the first month? 20 insights. That's more insights than a lot of old timers get in a year. And so, what's our goal next month? Our goal next month is not to skip as much. See, and letting that appetite begin to develop in their life so that what they read in Scripture is related to where they live becomes a very personal thing. So, let me go down through here. And uh, I don't want to go running past things and... um, become theoretical because this is very, very vital. And you can do this with a bunch of guys, you've got a bunch of men in your church that have never done anything like this, just get together and do this. If you think of a situation that, where you've run into lately, a problem with money, problem with your business, decision at the church, problem with a certain type of individual, whatever it might be, your children, Lots of verses in here with regards to your children. Okay? A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scoffer heareth not rebuke. Verse 2. A man, I'm counting on you to just kind of mark down, 2 and 8 and 12 and whatever, the ones that seem to stand out. And if you can jot a little note as to what that verse was about. If you have a Bible, why, you can put a pencil mark beside it or whatever. A man shall eat good by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the transgressor shall eat violence. Three. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. And I forget what one translation, but it says something like he that blabs everything. Okay. You ever felt the compulsion that you just need to tell everybody everything that's on your mind? This is a good verse. Four, the soul of the sluggard, or the lazy person, desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Five, a righteous man hateth lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and cometh to shame. Loathsome. Six, righteousness keepeth him that is upright in the way, but wickedness overthroweth the sinner. Seven, there is he that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is he that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Eight, the ransom of a man's life are his riches, but the poor heareth not rebuke. Nine, the light of the righteous righteous rejoiceth, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. Ten, only by pride cometh contention but with the well-advised is wisdom. 11. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Some of you businessmen, hear some of those businesses on diligence and prosperity. 12. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh it is a tree of life. Thirteen, whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed, but he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded. Fourteen, the law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Fifteen, good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. Sixteen, every prudent man dealeth with knowledge but a fool layeth open his folly. 17. A wicked messenger falleth into mischief, but a faithful ambassador is health. 18. Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction, but he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. 19. The desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it is an abomination to fools to depart from evil. 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. 21. Evil pursueth sinners, but to the righteous good shall be repaid. 22. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. It's a great verse. How many of us are planning for what we can do for our grandchildren? That's where our focal point should be, as parents. 23. Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor, but there is he that destroyeth for lack of justice. 24. He that spareth his rod, hateth his son, but he that loveth him, chasteneth him early. 25. The righteous eateth to the satisfying of his soul, but the belly of the wicked shall want. Now, did you notice, and I didn't do it intentionally, that I spontaneously drew your attention to three things that were on my mind? I didn't plan it, because I I just started thinking of some situations that I'm trying to work with, and immediately I was drawn to those verses. Now, what I would do next would be to get into the next section we're going to cover and take those specific areas that I'm conscious of and start tracing them into Scripture and gathering all that God has to say about the subject. Once we put all that he has to say about the same subject, now we lay it out and I can understand and see that whole situation from God's point of view and be absolutely certain I'm right. So that I no longer have to draw my own opinions about a situation. I just repeat the train of thought that God speaks, the way he's thinking about the subject. Then I can line up my pens with what he's saying with the way I was looking at it. How many found some verse or verses they thought were significant? Okay. Now, I wish we had the time, and we don't, but I want you to get that far into it. Now, the next thing to do is to take your verse, and if we were on a one-to-one basis, I would just say, explain to me in your own words what that verse means. You know, if I was to call on one of you right now that raised your hand, you'd probably panic. So what I would say is go on, look back at your verse and see what it says and then just put it in your own words. Explain the whole concept. Then look up and explain it to me. Now, sometimes a person will start wandering from what the verse says and go into preaching or other applications. Hold them right to what that specific verse says. And once they can explain that, say, now, I want you to sit here and I want you to memorize it word perfect. And usually in three minutes, the longest was seven, but usually in three minutes, they've got that memorized word perfect. And they've taken a little phrase that will help them remember it at five o'clock this afternoon or when you wake up tomorrow morning. Let's see, what was that verse we did last night? Oh, yeah. Pride and contention. Pride and contention uh, how'd that go uh, if you if you've got contentions because of pride oh only by pride cometh contention that's when you'll walk yourself back into it and then you'll start coming back the other way on it and i believe every christian ought to keep a a diary or some way that they can log It is one of the greatest things that I know to pick you up when you're down. One of the greatest things. Because, do you know, if things go wrong today, in spite of the fact that God has blessed you unbelievably the last three weeks, you can come to the conclusion today that nothing has been happening? You can. You just lose your frame of reference. Maybe the arrest wasn't even for real. And you go back, and you take that diary, and you start just reading your prayers. Just reading your prayers to the Lord. And you start seeing how that heart of yours really was crying out, Lord, I really did be in business. That has picked me up more times than any other thing that I've ever done. Just by going back and reading that. About three months ago, I went back and was reading my old diary from seminary days. And uh, Cheryl, my 10-year-old, she never heard about seminary days. And I started reading, and I was thanking the Lord. We had 37 cents in our checkbook. And I was praising the Lord for a balance. (laughs) And Lord, you know we need such and such. You know, and he provided that. It was a $2 came in from somewhere and this kind of thing. And my daughter started reading that. Tremendous for your children to kind of get a perspective and values. Now, that first and in developing insights from Proverbs was a very fundamental basis to get a brand new babe enjoying his four ounces. And I don't want him to stay on that very long, three or four months. And uh, now we're the next section is developing insights from Scripture. And I think it follows that. Now, I want an individual to see that you can have any question whatsoever on your mind and God has something very significant to say about it. Now, you can start anywhere in Scripture. I just recommend that a person starts in Proverbs because in Proverbs, you'll be able to gather some immediate insights in the shortest period of time. Because if he doesn't have a familiarity with other parts of Scripture, if he gets into a concordance and starts looking up verses and he's finding 2nd Hezekiah and 3rd Revelation and he's going back and forth, he becomes tired before he starts. It's discouraging. And you're wanting to get the enthusiasm and the momentum build up. So just take a section of Scripture. As you're reading down through Begin with Proverbs. If you don't know where to begin, I remember one boy came to me once, and he was a senior in high school, and he wanted to know about God's will for his life. Happened to be the 16th of the month. And Proverbs 16 happens to be my favorite chapter in Proverbs. My favorite verses there. We can always prove we're right, but is the Lord convinced? But one of the verses there says, a man's heart devises his ways but the Lord directs the steps. And we found seven verses in chapter 16 alone that were very much related to discerning God's will. I could say, well, Paul, what is it you really want to do? The average person believes that if they really would like to do something for the Lord, that has to be wrong because I would enjoy it too much. God's will for my life must be something that's hard and something I don't want to do. And they fail to realize that God made me the way I am with my likes and my dislikes so I would clearly recognize what it was he wanted me to do. If you delight yourself in him, what? He gives you the desires of your heart. A man's heart devises his ways, what? But the Lord directs the steps. So you and I have a lot of feelings about things we want to do. How do I screen out between what is feeling and what is scripture? By checking out whether or not the feelings counter or contradict Scripture. If they do not contradict Scripture, I can continue to pursue it. If it starts contradicting, and Proverbs is just tremendous at counter-checking the over-application of a truth in Scripture. See, a truth is applied in Scripture only up until a point where it contradicts another Scripture. Because scripture isn't going to contradict itself. So, (coughs) begin by reading the chapter corresponding to the calendar date and identify the verses which have application to the subject that you're talking about. You want to talk about business? You want to talk about problem at the church? You want to talk about knowing God's will? You want to talk about your family? You want to talk about your children? You name it. How do you deal with rebels? That was one of the greatest handles I ever had. A rebel who comes on strong is a hard person to respond to. You want to get mad. What does scripture say? Don't ever take them seriously. Don't ever take them seriously. If you do, you'll end up in the same wavelength they're on. Be just like them. Prick their remarks with silly retorts. See, this guy's really leaning. You're not there. See, and you get all kinds of practical handles like that. I have two Bibles that I use, and one well, one's the Bible, and the other's a Living Proverbs, and I have written out all of the. I've assigned a subject to almost every verse. And now, when I have a question and I want to get started on something, I can browse the entire book of Proverbs in about 30 minutes. It just takes about a minute a chapter. And you just run down through there and you just start pulling out those verses all related to those different areas. And before, you know, in 30 minutes you have 10, 15, 20 insights to start with. You've got those all pulled together. Some will be major insights. Others will be just kind of superficial i mean they, they won't be they'll be like subordinate points recall one time sharon came home hollering about little jimmy hitting her in kindergarten well i thought oh, i know what i'll do i'll go and find all the verses in proverbs so that i can tell her what to do when a little boy hits you so i sent her to bed and i went to proverbs And I come up with these 18 verses on friendships, and not one of them dealt with a kindergartner getting hit by another kindergartner. And I was at a loss, but in reading through the book, one verse stuck in my mind, and the verse was, a gift in secret heals many wounds. And as soon as I got that thought, because here she is, she's been offended by this little kindergartner. My mind then jumped over to Romans 12. If somebody does evil, what? Do good. So, is giving someone a gift a good thing? Sure. I had the same question you have. You know, maybe that's bribing. But since I could tie the two truths of Scripture together, and the motive was there to the Lord to take His Word and see that work, she got get up the next day, and I said, okay. I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to get Jimmy a surprise, but now don't you tell him. It's a great way to get your child to advertise, a kindergartner. I said, as soon as you come home from lunch, we're going to go get him a surprise. Well, what are we going to get? I said, I don't know. So she comes home. I already told Jimmy that we're going to get him a surprise. I said, I told you not to tell. Well, I didn't tell him what it was. So she inhaled her lunch, and we went and we got him one of those little 29-cent cars. And she sealed it when she wrapped it in scotch tape. I mean, totally. If I was that little kid, I'd have brained her. (laughs) I don't know how he ever got it open. And several days later, I said to her, I said, hey, Sharon, how are you and Jimmy getting along? Just fine. Was he hitting you? No, he doesn't hit me anymore, but he still hits everybody else and Karen she's going to school there's this one boy Luther dad he is so mean Karen was in K4 he is so mean you know he goes nah, nah, nah. and he makes faces and he calls me names and he says I'm stupid and he goes, she goes on and he pulls my hair and I don't like boys so Carol takes this on as project This time, no gift involved. She said, you know, I'm just going to make it a point. We had a little better handle on what principle to help her build in there and to forgive them and to be kind to them. It's not optional. We didn't use those words, but each time you do this. We went to open house last year when she was in K-5. Wouldn't you know, Luther was still on the same school bus, came from a broken home, and uh, he was a little pistol walks into the classroom for the open house and Carol looks and sees Luther's desk right beside Karen's so Carol who didn't know this says the teacher I see that Luther whatever his name was uh, is sitting beside Karen and the teacher turned to Carol and said yes and I want you to know something that your daughter is the only child in this class that can help him she is the only one She, she said he is a little pistol but he'll make faces at her, and Karen will go over and try to help him with his coloring, or she'll, she'll still respond and shake him home. See, frustrated, and he pulled my hair again and stuck his tongue out again, and this kind of thing. You see, a child learns to respond by how the parents respond. If you and I can handle that, now you know what my instinct would be? My instinct. Where does he live? (laughs) Nobody's going to do that to my daughter. And probably get down there and just spread my Christian testimony all over the neighborhood. (laughs) But you see, if you help that child, but mom, he did this. Well, did you do? And sometimes your innocent little child will have done something to trigger Luther's reaction. For which you know you have to get her to apologize for that and build those principles in because we're not looking for just immediate one day application, we're looking for long range internalization. So, survey the other chapters of Proverbs and identify related verses to start pulling out those subjects, then, group the verses according to the subdivisions of the subject. Now what will happen, like in finances, you'll get into borrowing, you'll get into co-signing, you'll get into investments, there's a whole spectrum. And take those verses and start breaking them out into their subdivisions. Proverbs will not necessarily have all the major insights. There's other places of Scripture that you'll want to go, which is next. Using a concordance, list the other insights from Scripture, Old and New Testament. Now, once we have gathered together all that God's Word says on a subject, we now have accumulated what Scripture calls the doctrine. Remember 2 Timothy 3.16? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine. Now, the word there means teaching. It doesn't mean theology. Once we have gathered together all of God's thoughts on a subject, we now know what God's teaching is on that subject. Now, it hasn't solved any problems. It's just laying there, and there are his thoughts. We want to go all the way through and complete the cycle. Now, before I... Start teaching, and this is where I believe so many have made tragic mistakes. We've gathered this information. We've been real excited about it, so we immediately transfer the information. There, now you're all educated. And they sit there in that Sunday school class, and you ask them, well, how was Sunday school? Uh, what'd you learn? Didn't learn anything new. And they'll attack anything from the quarterly to the teacher's outfit for the day and everything else in between. Now, the reason is that education is not a matter of taking some information, sitting everybody down and transferring. All we're doing there is reaching a person's mind. When you and I communicate God's truth, God wants us to reach a person's conscience. See, Paul said, I appeal... To every man's conscience in the sight of God that's why if I think that programs and gimmicks is what's going to bring about conversion then I'm going to be sadly mistaken let's have let's have you know a industrially let's, let's play sports and that'll bring them in now all of those things can be a vehicle a legitimate vehicle But you're not going to change a man spiritually by appealing to him physically. You're not going to change a man by picking out a real tear-jerking illustration. Or getting them around the campfire. Last night. How many of those have lasted? Now, I'm not saying that to have to be emotional is not a legitimate experience. But if I am manipulating emotions to try to precipitate a spiritual experience, I'm usurping the position of the Holy Spirit because only the Holy Spirit, what? Convicts of sin. Or I can be real forceful. And I can say, now stop it! Right now! Stop your drinking. If you made up your mind to you wouldn't drink again. How many people do you know have come off alcohol but make up their mind not to drink again? See? Appealing to the will. If I think that that is what's going to do it, that will not bring about the change. Because a man's conscience must be appealed to. Which means... I have to know personally where I'm really hurting and what's the relationship to what God says and my problems. This is why I'm ready to teach when there is an awareness of the symptoms or the reproofs that are evident when these principles of Scripture are violated. Now, we get into communicating the principles, this will take on even a greater dimension. How many here believe in the doctrine of sanctification? Believe in the doctrine of sanctification, scriptural term? Do you know that if the people in our church, after hearing my eloquent delivery on the doctrine of sanctification, can walk out of the church with either of these two following responses, I've blown it, If they walk out and they say, you know, you could tell he really did his homework and really prepared for that message. Or if they can walk out and say, so what? Do you think that you could make it in your Christian life if you never understood the word sanctification, propitiation, justification, atonement? Most of us, if we're honest, since we don't even know what it means yet, would probably say, yes, I really probably could make it, and it wouldn't make that much difference. And yet, do you know that there are problems in our lives right now because of the blind spots in not knowing what the real underlying significance is of those situations? I took 35 pastors in Buffalo last, a year ago, December. And I just picked sanctification out of the air. And I just proposed the same two questions that I asked, just to share with them how to take what we have learned in theology and to turn it around to where everything that we teach is practical. And it was one of the most exciting things. And I asked them the same question. Oh, absolutely, need to pre-sanctification. I said, well, what is sanctification? They started laying out all the concepts. One man says, well, I don't get into all that detail. I just tell them we're sanctified. Okay? <laughs> but once we started identifying what kind of problems we have in our lives, because we are not aware of how God wants us to grow spiritually, that there is a process, there are qualities to be developed, You must do your utmost, 2 Peter says, to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge endurance and endurance suffering and suffering godliness and godliness brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness leads to love. If you have these qualities existing and growing in you, it means that your faith in Christ has not made your lives complacent or unproductive. But the man whose life fails to exhibit these qualities is short-sighted, and he can no longer see the reason why he was cleansed from his former sins. Lots of Christians don't have that virtue. What kind of problems do you have if there isn't a, a clear, crystal idea of what's right and wrong? There's not an excellence in our life. Knowledge, which means insight, means understanding how life works. People who have these reactions to their parents are still blinded as to how life works. They're still trying to figure out some of the most elementary questions about disciplining their children because they've lost that insight. The eye that mocketh his father and despises to obey his mother, what? Ravens of the field shall pluck it out and the young eagles shall eat it. So there isn't that insight. What about endurance? Don't know how to be sacrificial. Don't recognize that's a basic cost of discipleship. Well, we could go right on through that, you see, because Scripture does identify what the process is, calls it one big theological word. So what kind of problems do I have? Where am I really hurting? You know, when I used to use some of these terms And I was teaching older people that these terms just ran off their back like water off a duck. You mentioned bitterness to an older person. They're immune to that word. So I gathered all of the older people, 60 years and older, together, and I taught them for two years. And for the first six months, I thought I was talking to a stone wall. You know why? Why? Because I did not know where they were hurting and how they expressed their hurt. That's what reproofs are. If we violate scripture, we're going to have problems. And that's how we hurt. Now you've got to go one more level down to how I actually explain how I hurt. You ever hear somebody come out and say, well, pastor, and you kind of uh, quit preaching and went to meddling today? You know what that person's saying? Without you talking to my wife or talking to me, you actually mention the specific problem that we, where we're hurting. And you know that some men hope that that'll happen once a month. Really it's a reflection of how far removed we can actually become in the pulpit from the people all of a sudden I start catching on I started going to the older people's socials and I started asking them questions most fun I ever had in my life even to this day if you want to have the ball of your life get together with a bunch of older ladies or older men They are just as ornery today as they were then. (laughs) Ask these ladies how they kept warm in bed when they were young. I mean, they're talking about bricks in their bed and all kinds of stuff. Who was the most significant person in your life and you felt made the greatest contribution in your life? They would start talking. I was amazed in one deal, only one lady mentioned their mother or either of their parents, someone else. And all of a sudden, I started saying, you know, it is really hard to understand how your family can forget you so quick. Never forget it. I mentioned that. I did it intentionally because I was starting to discover where they really expressed their hurt. Where the bitterness comes out and how it comes out. And two ladies that were in the third row sitting about right there, the one nudged the other and went like this, and they were I lost them for the rest of the class. They talked. The whole rest of the class. See, I'd opened up where the reproof is. you know it is almost impossible to live on your pension with the rate of inflation today? Bingo! You've got two men walking up after the class, wanting to know if I even if I knew what I was really talking about. Because it is. They tell you how much they're making, what their costs were. So once we know what scripture says and what the principles are, the next thing we need to be aware of the reproofs. And then I'm ready to teach. When I'm ready to teach is determined by my ability to identify and share with others. How to correct it. Can I help an older person be content in whatsoever state he's in? To know how to abound, how to suffer need? And last, it's not enough just to correct a problem. My insight into helping another person maintain the consistent application of the principle as well as coping with reoccurring problems. And that's how we complete the cycle. That's the instruction in righteousness. Now, as you come to Scripture with questions, you don't have to go through that entire cycle in your first sitting. Most of the time, it takes me months and sometimes years. It took me four years to figure out what that whole cycle was to the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. And I, But, you see, that's God's cycle to complete that entire cycle. But it just becomes an endless, inexhaustible resource. And then you know what? If you get tired of this, I've got a more exciting one tomorrow night. Because it really is. that it just takes Proverbs and just takes it right on. And probably the most exciting thing to all of us, maybe in the whole seminar, I don't know. You know, when you and I meet a person, do you know what you and I instinctively do? Every man and every woman... When they meet a person, the first thing they're trying to do is to figure out what's the other person's motive. See? Where are they coming from? Are they for real? What's their angle? What's their axe to grind? And I believe that's what the whole book of Proverbs is written for. And it's all laid out to be able to determine the six approaches that people will use to take advantage of you and the eight kinds of people that do it. And uh, we're going to get into that tomorrow night. Okay, any questions here? Now, I hope that you'll take these things. Don't go jumping into all of them at once. Take one. Just work on it. If you're tired of it, set it aside. You'll have a whole bunch of things that you'll be able to do when we're done. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, it's our desire that we can honestly say with David, O Lord, how love I thy law. And Lord, quite frankly, sometimes it has not been very exciting to get into your word. Perhaps on some occasions it's been because of frustration and not knowing where to begin or what to do or how to do it. But, Father, as we just lift our hearts and our eyes to see the tremendous riches, help us, Lord, to really fall in love with it. Help us to fall in love with the author first. Then we can't wait to read the love letters. So, Lord, just minister to our hearts in a very special way, and we'll give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen. Now, that first and developing insights from Proverbs was a very fundamental basis to get a brand new babe enjoying his four ounces. And I don't want him to stay on that very long, three or four months. And uh, now we're the next section is developing insights from Scripture. I think it follows that. Now I want an individual to see that you can have any question whatsoever on your mind and God has something very significant to say about it. Now, you can start anywhere in Scripture. I just recommend that a person starts in Proverbs because in Proverbs, you'll be able to gather some immediate insights in the shortest period of time. Because if he doesn't have a familiarity with other parts of Scripture... If he gets into a concordance and starts looking up verses and he's finding 2nd Hezekiah and 3rd Revelation and he's going back and forth, he becomes tired before he starts. It's discouraging. And you're wanting to get the enthusiasm and the momentum build up. So just take a section of scripture. As you're reading down through, begin with Proverbs. You don't know where to begin. I remember one boy came to me once, and he was a senior in high school, and he wanted to know about God's will for his life. Happened to be the 16th of the month. And Proverbs 16 happens to be my favorite chapter in Proverbs. My favorite verses there. We can always prove we're right, but is the Lord convinced? But one of the verses there says, a man's heart devises his ways, but the Lord directs the steps. And we found seven verses in chapter 16 alone that were very much related to discerning God's will. I could say, well, Paul, what is it you really want to do? The average person believes that if they really would like to do something for the Lord, that has to be wrong because I would enjoy it too much. God's will for my life must be something that's hard and something I don't want to do. And they fail to realize that God made me the way I am with my likes and my dislikes, so I would clearly recognize what it was he wanted me to do. If you delight yourself in him, what? He gives you the desires of your heart. A man's heart devises his ways, what? But the Lord directs the steps. So you and I have a lot of feelings about things we want to do. How do I screen out between what is feeling and what is scripture? By checking out whether or not the feelings counter or contradict Scripture. If they do not contradict Scripture, I can continue to pursue it. If it starts contradicting, and Proverbs is just tremendous at counter-checking the over-application of a truth in Scripture. See, a truth is applied in Scripture only up until a point where it contradicts another Scripture. Because scripture isn't going to contradict itself. So, (coughs) begin by reading the chapter corresponding to the calendar date and identify the verses which have application to the subject that you're talking about. You want to talk about business? You want to talk about problem at the church? You want to talk about knowing God's will? You want to talk about your family? You want to talk about your children? You name it. How do you deal with rebels? That was one of the greatest handles I ever had. A rebel who comes on strong is a hard person to respond to. You want to get mad. What does scripture say? Don't ever take them seriously. Don't ever take them seriously. If you do, you'll end up in the same wavelength they're on. Be just like them. Prick their remarks with silly retorts. See, this guy's really leaning. You're not there. See? And you get all kinds of practical handles like that. I have two Bibles that I use. And one, well, one's the Bible and the other's the Living Proverbs. And I have written out all of the, I've assigned a subject to almost every verse. And now, when I have a question and I want to get started on something, I can browse the entire book of Proverbs in about 30 minutes. It just takes about a minute a chapter. And you just run down through there and you just start pulling out those verses, all related to those different areas. And before, you know, in 30 minutes, you have 10, 15, 20 insights to start with. You've got those all pulled together. Some will be major insights. Others will be just kind of... Superficial. I mean, they they won't be. they will be like subordinate points. Recall one time Sharon came home hollering about little Jimmy hitting her in kindergarten. Well, I thought, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll go and find all the verses in Proverbs so that I can tell her what to do when a little boy hits you. So I sent her to bed, and I went to Proverbs. And I come up with these 18 verses on friendships, and not one of them dealt with a kindergartner getting hit by another kindergartner. And I was at a loss, but in reading through the book, one verse stuck in my mind, and the verse was, a gift in secret heals many wounds. And as soon as I got that thought, because here she is, she's been offended by this little kindergartner. My mind then jumped over to Romans 12. If somebody does evil, what? Do good. So, is giving someone a gift a good thing? Sure. I had the same question you have. You know, maybe that's bribing. But since I could tie the two truths of Scripture together, and the motive was there to the Lord to take His Word and see that work, She got up the next day, and I said, okay. I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to get Jimmy a surprise. But now don't you tell him. It's a great way to get your child to advertise, a kindergartner. (laughs) I said, as soon as you come home from lunch, we're going to go get him a surprise. Well, what are we going to get? I said, I don't know. So she comes home. I already told Jimmy that we're going to get him a surprise. I said, I told you not to tell. Well, I didn't tell him what it was. (laughs) So she inhaled her lunch. And we went and we got him one of those little 29 cent cars. And she sealed it when she wrapped it in scotch tape. I mean, totally. If I was that little kid, I'd have brained her. <laughs> I don't know how he ever got it open. And several days later, I said to her, I said, Hey, Sharon, how are you and Jimmy getting along? Just fine. Was well, he hitting you? No, he doesn't hit me anymore, but he still hits everybody else. And Karen, she's going to school. There's this one boy, Luther. Dad, he is so mean. Karen was in K4. He is so mean. You know, he goes, nah, nah, nah. And he makes faces, and he calls me names, and he says I'm stupid. And he goes, she goes on, and he pulls my hair. And I don't like boys. So Carol takes this on as a project. This time, no gift involved. She said, you know, I'm just going to make it a point we had a little better handle on what principle to help her build in there and to forgive them and to be kind to them. It's not optional. We didn't use those words, but each time you do this. We went to Open House last year when she was in K-5. Wouldn't you know, Luther was still on the same school bus, came from a broken home, and uh, he was a little pistol walks into the classroom for the open house and carol looks and sees luther's desk right beside karen's so carol who didn't know this says the teacher i see that luther whatever his name was uh, is sitting beside karen and the teacher turned to carol and said yes and i want you to know something that your daughter is the only child in this class that can help him she is the only one She, she said he is a little pistol but he'll make faces at her and Karen will go over and try to help him with his coloring or she'll, she'll still respond and shake him home. See, frustrated and he pulled my hair again and stuck his tongue out again and this kind of thing. You see, a child learns to respond by how the parents respond. If you and I can handle that, now you know what my instinct would be? My instinct, where does he live? (laughs) Nobody's gonna do that to my daughter. And probably go down there and just spread my Christian testimony all over the neighborhood. (laughs) But you see, if you help that child, but mom, he did this. Well, did you do and sometimes your innocent little child will have done something to trigger Luther's reaction? For which you know you have to get her to apologize for that and build those principles in. Because we're not looking for just immediate one-day application, we're looking for long-range internalization. So survey the other chapters of Proverbs and identify related verses. Just start pulling out those subjects. Then group the verses according to the subdivisions of the subject. Now what will happen, like in finances, you'll get into borrowing, you'll get into co-signing, you'll get into investments, there's a whole spectrum. And take those verses and start breaking them out into their subdivisions. Proverbs will not necessarily have all the major insights. There's other places of Scripture that you'll want to go, which is next. Using a concordance, list the other insights from Scripture. Old and New Testament. Now once we have gathered together all that God's word says on a subject, we now have accumulated what scripture calls the doctrine. Remember 2 Timothy 3.16? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine. Now the word there means teaching. It doesn't mean theology. Once we have gathered together all of God's thoughts on a subject, we now know what God's teaching is on that subject. Now, it hasn't solved any problems. It's just laying there, and there are his thoughts. We want to go all the way through and complete the cycle. Now, before I... Start teaching, and this is where I believe so many have made tragic mistakes. We've gathered this information. We've been real excited about it, so we immediately transfer the information. There, now you're all educated. And they sit there in that Sunday school class, and you ask them, well, how was Sunday school? "Uh, What'd you learn? Didn't learn anything new. And they'll attack anything from the quarterly to the teacher's outfit for the day and everything else in between. Now, the reason is that education is not a matter of taking some information, sitting everybody down and transferring. All we're doing there is reaching a person's mind. When you and I communicate God's truth, God wants us to reach a person's conscience. See, Paul said, I appeal... To every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's why if I think that programs and gimmicks is what's going to bring about conversion, then I'm going to be sadly mistaken. Let's have let's have you know a industrially. Let's let's play sports and that'll bring them in. Now all of those things can be a vehicle, a legitimate vehicle but you're not going to change a man spiritually by appealing to him physically. You're not going to change a man by picking out a real tear-jerking illustration or getting them around the campfire last night. How many of those have lasted? Now, I'm not saying that to have to be emotional is not a legitimate experience. But if I am manipulating emotions to try to precipitate a spiritual experience, I'm usurping the position of the Holy Spirit because only the Holy Spirit, what? Convicts of sin. Or I can be real forceful. And I can say, now stop it! Right now! Stop your drinking. If you made up your mind till you wouldn't drink again. How many people do you know have come off alcohol but make up their mind not to drink again? See? Appealing to the will. If I think that that is what's going to do it, that will not bring about the change. Because a man's conscience must be appealed to. Which means... I have to know personally where I'm really hurting and what's the relationship to what God says and my problems. This is why I'm ready to teach when there is an awareness of the symptoms or the reproofs that are evident when these principles of Scripture are violated. Now, when we get into... Communicating the principles, this will take on even a greater dimension. How many here believe in the doctrine of sanctification? Believe in the doctrine of sanctification, scriptural term? Do you know that if the people in our church, after hearing my eloquent delivery on the doctrine of sanctification, can walk out of the church with either of these two following responses, I've blown it. If they walk out and they say, you know, you can tell he really did his homework and really prepared for that message. Or if they can walk out and say, so what? Do you think that you could make it in your Christian life if you never understood the word sanctification, propitiation, justification, atonement? Most of us, if we're honest, since we don't even know what it means yet, would probably say, yes, I really probably could make it, and it wouldn't make that much difference. And yet, do you know that there are problems in our lives right now because of the blind spots in not knowing what the real underlying significance is of those situations? I took 35 pastors in Buffalo last a year ago, December, and I just picked sanctification out of the air. And I just p- proposed the same two questions that I asked, you, just to share with them how to take what we have learned in theology and to turn it around to where everything that we teach is practical. And it was one of the most exciting things. And I asked them the same question oh, absolutely, need to pre sanctification. I said, well, what is sanctification? They started laying out all the concepts. One man says, well, I don't get into all that detail. I just tell them we're sanctified. (laughs) But once we started identifying what kind of problems we have in our lives, because we are not aware of how God wants us to grow spiritually, that there is a process, there are qualities to be developed, You must do your utmost, 2 Peter says, to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge endurance and endurance suffering and suffering godliness and godliness brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness leads to love. If you have these qualities existing and growing in you, it means that your faith in Christ has not made your lives complacent or unproductive. But the man whose life fails to exhibit these qualities is short-sighted, and he can no longer see the reason why he was cleansed from his former sins. Lots of Christians don't have that virtue. What kind of problems do you have if there isn't a, a, a clear, crystal idea of what's right and wrong? There's not an excellence in our life. Knowledge, which means insight, means understanding how life works. People who have these reactions to their parents are still blinded as to how life works. They're still trying to figure out some of the most elementary questions about disciplining their children because they've lost that insight. The eye that mocketh his father and despises to obey his mother, what? Ravens of the field shall pluck it out and the young eagles shall eat it. So there isn't that insight. What about endurance? Don't know how to be sacrificial. Don't recognize that's a basic cost of discipleship. Well, we could go right on through that, you see. Because Scripture does identify what the process is. Calls it one big theological word. So what kind of problems do I have? Where am I really hurting? You know, when I used to use some of these terms... And I was teaching older people that these terms just ran off their back like water off a duck. You mentioned bitterness to an older person. They're immune to that word. So I gathered all of the older people, 60 years and older together, and I taught them for two years. And for the first six months, I thought I was talking to a stone wall. You know why? Because I did not know where they were hurting and how they expressed their hurt. that's what reproofs are. If we violate Scripture, we're going to have problems. And that's how we hurt. Now, you've got to go one more level down to how I actually explain how I hurt. You ever hear somebody come out and say, Well, Pastor, and you kind of uh, quit preaching and went to meddling today. You know what that person's saying? Without you talking to my wife or talking to me, you actually mention the specific problem that we, where we're hurting. And you know that some men hope that that'll happen once a month. Really, it's a reflection of how far removed we can actually become in the pulpit from the people all of a sudden I start catching on I start going to the older people's socials and I started asking them questions most fun I ever had in my life even to this day if you want to have the ball of your life get together with a bunch of older ladies or older men they are just as ornery today as they were then <laughs> Ask these ladies how they kept warm in bed when they were young. I mean, they're talking about bricks in their bed and all kinds of stuff. Who was the most significant person in your life and you felt made the greatest contribution in your life? They would start talking. I was amazed. In one deal, only one lady mentioned their mother or either of their parents, someone else. And all of a sudden, I started saying, you know, it is really hard to understand how your family can forget you so quick. Never forget it. I mentioned that. And I did it intentionally because I was starting to discover where they really express their hurt, where the bitterness comes out and how it comes out. And two ladies and were in the third row sitting about right there. The one nudged the other and went like this, and they were I lost them for the rest of the class. They talked the whole rest of the class. See, I'd opened up where the reproof is. You know, it is almost impossible to live on your pension with the rate of inflation today. Bingo. You've got two men walking up after the class, wanting to know if I, even, if I knew what I was really talking about. Because It is. They tell you how much they're making, what their costs were. So once we know what Scripture says and what the principles are, the next thing, we need to be aware of the reproofs. And then I'm ready to teach. When I'm ready to teach is determined by my ability to identify and share with others how to correct it. Can I help an older person be content in whatsoever state he's in? to know how to abound, how to suffer need. And last, it's not enough just to correct a problem. My insight into helping another person maintain the consistent application of the principle as well as coping with reoccurring problems. And that's how we complete the cycle. That's the instruction in righteousness. Now, as you come to Scripture with questions, you don't have to go through that entire cycle in your first sitting. Most of the time it takes me months and sometimes years. It took me four years to figure out what that whole cycle was to the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. And I but you see, that's God's cycle to complete that entire cycle. But it just becomes an endless, inexhaustible resource. And then you know what? If you get tired of this. I've got a more exciting one tomorrow night. Because it really is that it just takes Proverbs and just takes it right on. And probably the most exciting thing to all of us, maybe in the whole seminar, I don't know. You know, when you and I meet a person, do you know what you and I instinctively do? Every man and every woman, when they meet a person, the first thing they're trying to do is to figure out what's the other person's motive. See, where they coming from. Are they for real? What's their angle? What's their axe to grind? And I believe that's what the whole book of Proverbs is written for. And it's all laid out to be able to determine the six approaches that people will use to take advantage of you and the eight kinds of people that do it. And uh, we're going to get into that tomorrow night. Okay, any questions here? Now, I hope that you'll... Take these things, don't go jumping into all of them at once, take one, just work on it, if you're tired of it, set it aside, you'll have a whole bunch of things that you'll be able to do when we're done. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, it's our desire that we can honestly say with David, O oh Lord, how love I thy law. And Lord, quite frankly, sometimes it has not been very exciting to get into your word. Perhaps on some occasions it's been because of frustration and not knowing where to begin or what to do or how to do it. But Father, as we just lift our hearts and our eyes to see the tremendous riches. Help us, Lord, to really fall in love with it. Help us to fall in love with the author first. Then we can't wait to read the love letters. So, Lord, just minister to our hearts in a very special way, and we'll give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen.